Hey, everybody. Welcome to another wonderful episode of Psychic on the Scene. Hope everybody out there is is doing well and looking towards spring. Um, and I just want to say welcome, as always, to my wonderful co-host, D. Scott. Hi. And, and my other lovely co-host, Michelle Lyons-Polito. Hi, everyone. And tonight's episode is about near-death experiences. And Michelle brought us another special guest. So at this point, I'm going to turn it over to Michelle to intro our guest. Tonight we have with us, he's gracing our presence, my wonderful cousin, Bob Noonan, who uh, had an experience uh, last year. It was last year, right? Yeah, late April. Late April, almost a oh, year. Wow. And um, he's talk- He's decided to come on and talk about this. You've, been t- you've told me the story, and I'm still in awe of it. And it's not a story. You've told me your experience. And I was just so thrilled that you're able to come and share it with us this evening. Thank you so much for doing this. And you don't call it a near-death experience as much as, I'm just going to give that as your intro and share with us what happened. Sure. Yeah, no, and I, uh, thanks for having me on, by the way. I Welcome. Sharing the incredible experience that I went through, and it was late April. Uh, and, you know, it was right as the epidemic was kicking into high gear. It had nothing to do with COVID. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, muted my uh, office line. Every time a bell rings, a Bobby gets his wings. No, okay. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. <laughs> well, anyways, it was uh, late April. One of the things, uh, we're in the Chicago area, um, and I have five kids. I have three biological kids, and I joke with my wife that we're biological empty nesters. Uh, <laughs> we have a we have a thirty year old, a twenty eight year old, and a twenty six year old, and we adopted two little boys from foster care. So we have a nine and a ten year old, and we've had them for most of their lives. Well, anyway, so that that's kind of a, a baseline of the story because they had uh, spring break in, in March, so we're blessed to have a place down in Florida in Naples. Uh, so we decided mm-hmm. to go down to Naples for a 10-day spring break vacation. And as we headed to Naples, this COVID-19 pandemic really started to ramp up. You know, the school shut down while we were down there. You know, my job, I travel a lot. I'm in telecommunications and I, I couldn't go see customers, couldn't travel. So my wife and I, while we were down there, we said, well, why don't we just stay in Florida? The kids are doing their e-learning. You're working from home. Why would we go back to Chicago? The case is ramping really hard. The weather's not great. And so we stayed there for a while. Uh, And then one day it was, you know, this was in early March. So we got through March and most of April. And out of the blue, I got up, it was late April, uh, to, to get in the shower, to get ready for work. And I had this massive headache come out of nowhere in the back of my head. And it was just incredibly painful. And I've never experienced anything like it. So I I came out of the bathroom and I told my wife, Wendy, I said, I may have to go see a doctor. Something's not right. And I headed into the kitchen, got some coffee, looked at my calendar and I was really busy that day. Lots of calls. So I come back out and I said, Wend, I'm going to just have to power through this. I don't have time to go see a doctor. She stands up and says, Bob, in 30 years of marriage, you've never once said you have to go see a doctor. (laughs) Something is not right here. I feel it. I sense it. So she took me to the ER 
And again, that was in COVID. So she couldn't even come in. She had to drop me off at this tent uh, and they're testing me and doing all the temperature tests and all of that. So I get into the ER, one of the ER doctors takes me to the back corner. He's doing all the vitals, everything looks fine. You know, I had popped some Advil before we headed out. So my headache wasn't that massive right now. Mm -hmm. So the doctors told me, well, I want to hold you for observation for 45 minutes, uh, an hour or so. Uh, and then he left and he just ha had me sitting in this room and I'm sitting there on my phone doing some email, checking my calendar. Uh, and about 15 minutes later, the whole room just started spinning around, flip-flopping. Mm -hmm. And it was unbelievable. I couldn't even get my sense of bearing. So I start screaming help. And I screamed really loud because I couldn't find the gurney button to you know, call for help. And two doctors came running uh, and they put me on the gurney. They were asking me questions and I vividly remember all of this. And so they run me out to a CAT scan machine and I can hear them as they're going in and out. They're putting my head in and coming back out. And one of them says he's bleeding in the brain, in the midbrain. Uh, and the, the other doctor says, oh, I see an aneurysm. It looks like it's been there for a while. We can deal with that down the road because it's in full intact. So, so they pull me out again and they're running me through the hospital. And I remember asking the doc, cause I was fully, I remember all of this without any issue. I said, hey doc, can you call my wife? Uh, give her an update? Cause I had just texted her, hey, pick me out front in, in, in an hour. Oh, no. <laughs> so I could see her yeah. heading back to pick me up. And, and the doctor's response was, Sorry, sir, we're a little busy here. We're going to rush <laughs> you over to ICU and prep you for brain surgery. Wow. And I'm sitting there like, ooh, this is a bad day. <laughs> this is a, bad day. <laughs> a bad day. <laughs> so they were, and then I don't remember much after that because they put me into, I think I was in a medically induced coma for a while. And, and then my wife uh, relays what had happened after that. She got a call from the doctor. I don't know, an hour and a half or two hours later saying, hey, the good news is he's in stable condition. He's in ICU. We were able to stop the bleeding in his midbrain. Uh, and the doctor did mention he's got an aneurysm that we want to monitor, uh, and, but he should be fine. So my wife was like, oh, that doesn't sound as bad as what she was thinking. Because uh, mm -hmm. I texted her as they were rushing me to ICU. I sent her a text because I, I couldn't call her. I just said something to the effect, like I'm bleeding in the brain, headed to ice, headed to surgery or something. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so she's she went, freaking I, out. In a home. Yeah. She's really freaking out. I think my wife and my older kids went through more dra trauma and dr dr they were traumatized more than I was during this event. It has to be right. So, so three hours later and I, I, uh, attribute the ICU nurse as one of my angels on earth. Mm. Three hours later during a routine check in ICU, the nurse noticed that my right pupil was just blown. My eye had blown. Uh, and she knew that wasn't good. Something seriously went wrong in the brain. She called the doctors back. They did another scan and, and realized the aneurysm had ruptured and I was bleeding out. So uh, they called my wife back and said, can you come into the hospital? Your husband's in critical care. Wow. He's on life support. He's in a coma. His aneurysm mm -hmm. ruptured, and we don't think he's going to make it through the night. 
Oh my God. Come in and say your goodbyes. It's pretty much the call she got from the doctor. And then they said, we're going to try to airlift him from Naples over to Miami because this is out of our league and we need to get a, a brain trauma specialist uh, doing emergency reconstructive surgery. <clears throat> so that was a, a terrible call. I'm sure my wife went through. And of course, I was in La La Land. <laughs> uh, so wow. I didn't know what was going on. Uh, and, you know, to fast forward, the weather got really bad, so they couldn't get the helicopter off the ground. So I was stuck there. They put At least they put a drain in to take the pressure off my brain as I was bleeding out. Mm-hmm. And they were waiting, and they kept trying to get clearance to take off with the, the life flight. Could never get clearance. The following morning, I'm still there in the mm-hmm. ICU unit. The ICU nurse who flagged the doctors came back in for her morning shift and I was still there. And she was irate and going nuts. And, you know, I, I hear this from my wife after because they, they ended up becoming friends and they still communicate on text. Mm. So she started screaming, you got to get this guy over to emergency surgery in Miami. And I, I kind of joked that I must have had Mo, Larry, and Curly in charge of uh, transporting me over there oh, no. because I was still there. And they said, <laughs> well, he's on life support. He's in a coma. We need a certified ICU nurse to ride in the back of the ambulance. And we need a special ambulance with a life support system. So she said, I'm certified. Let's roll. I'll jump in the back with him. And she did. Oh, wow. Wow. So, she, so that's uh, my angel on earth twice, frankly. Mm-hmm. And She was texting my wife on the ride over because my wife figured, well, he's going to get airlifted over. I'm going to drive to Miami because our adult kids, two are coming from Chicago, one from Denver. They were going to all fly into Miami. And she said, I want to be in Miami when they get there. So my son from Denver took the red eye and he beat me to Miami. Oh my gosh, no way. That's crazy. <laughs> She's there waiting for, for dad to it show is. up. It's so crazy. But, uh, you know, it, what, what's even truly a miracle or amazing here is I, I had bled out for 18 hours by the time I got into surgery. Wow. And, and uh, you, you know, the ICU nurse in the back was texting my wife. She said something happened, something really crazy happened. He was in a medically induced coma on life support, but something was going on. He was very agitated twice. Uh, and, you know, I got over to Miami. Dr. Yagavalt is the brain surgeon I had. Uh, again, a, a, another miracle. He, he's the inventor of the aneurysm coil. Oh. Uh, and he, he put in an aneurysm coil to reconstruct my vessel that blew. He then put in a stent. Uh, inside the coil. He did a 10-hour surgery on me. Ten wow, hours. Bob. And never opened my skull. He did the entire surgery up through my groin, up through my heart. You're kidding me. The technology Holy smokes. is amazing. It's, it's truly amazing. I had no idea they could do that. Oh, it, it was incredible, Michelle. I mean, of course, I was in La La Land. But, <laughs> you were somewhere but, else, right? You know, part of it, this is the real crazy story because somewhere along the way, and I believe it was when I was on life support because I never flatlined. They said I never mm-hmm. really flatlined. 
but I, I am a hundred percent convinced this isn't a dream or a vision. My soul left my body. Mm. Okay. And what I did is I found myself walking on the road to Jericho. Ooh. And it was so vivid. I mean, it was like, I was there and I'm looking around saying, what the heck am I doing here? This is so odd. <laughs> and it's very desolate and, you know, rocky and, you know, it looks like I'm in the middle of a, a hilly desert. And I instinctively knew I was on the road to Jericho. I don't know that's how. A, that seems to be a common thing that like nobody's telling you certain things. It's, um, it's like an internal knowing or a download knowing. I, I just knew it. And I am 100% convinced this isn't a vision or a dream. I live this. Yep. We believe it. Then, then what I felt was this incredible peacefulness wave over me. Incredible. It's hard to explain. Just so peaceful. Mm. And I heard loud and clear in my head, life is simple, Bob. Love everybody. Judge no one. It's not your job. I love that. Those are words and to I'm like, by. wow. And I'm even thinking, wow, if that was true in our world, our world would be a lot better place. That's for sure. Amen. So I'm looking around and I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm on a road. I'm going to start walking. <laughs> and I literally was walking on the road and I came across a bend, around a bend. And across the street, I see my mother and father standing there. Who have been gone and for they, a while. Yeah, my mom passed eight years ago. My dad passed 10 years ago. And, and they look so healthy and peaceful and happy. Not like when I saw them both under deathbeds. Right. right. And I'm like, wow, this is so weird. So I, I walk up close to him and I'm looking at my dad and he's just looking at me with the look. <laughs> you know, the look when you were a kid, when you were doing something wrong, you just get that look. Yep. Like when I was in church goofing around and I'm like, oh, oh yeah, I'm the look. <laughs> He's giving me the look. The stink and I eye. catch myself saying, what did I do? What did I do? <laughs> and he never answered me. Oh, that's then, funny. Then I look at my mom and she's beautiful. She's dressed in this floral dress. Incredible. Looks happy. And I could tell she wants to run over and hug and kiss me. Mm. but something's holding her back or she's holding herself back I'm looking around like this is so bizarre but yet it was so real I mean it's as real as the best Christmas memory you have in your life mm. and then out of could, nowhere and not to interrupt you Bob but I'm going to interrupt you could <laughs> you see yourself could you see like the front of you or did you have any kind of um, sense of self sense of self Yes. When I said I was walking, I mean, I could see or feel myself as if it were just walking down a hall somewhere else or walking on any other road. Oh, wow. It, so it was very <clears throat> surreal. I mean, it was, it was bizarre. Okay. But as I was looking at my mom and I could tell she wanted to run over and hug and kiss me, my brother, Timothy, who's a year older than me, he died two years ago. He popped up out of nowhere and he looked peaceful, happy, healthy, and he was dressed like an apostle. And it was interesting a robe and, and Gee, I'm looking at him like, this is so bizarre. And he jogs <laughs> over right next to me. 
and he says, Bob, trust me on this one. We don't have much time. You've been cleared to go back. Turn around and go back. You have much work to do. I looked at my parents and they were kind of giving me the shoe sign. Mm -hmm. I turned around, I started jogging and I woke up in recovery. Oh my God. That's just so incredible. I mean, and it had to be so amazing to see, see them. Oh, it was, it was incredible. I mean, and I've, I'm an engineer undergrad, so I analyze things, but (laughs) I analyze this a little and I'm like, wow. Cause I am, I mean, it's, it's real. I didn't, this isn't again, a dream or a vision. It happened. You're a technical guy who has this experience. Right. Right. Yes. yes. But I, I think my parents were sent to stall me before I got too far on the journey. Oh, how interesting that that's your, your take on that. I, I would agree with that because if they, especially with her, if she didn't embrace you, that might've been like a, like a spiritual no, no where you were. I think it was because I felt that peacefulness, whatever that spiritual love was. Mm-hmm. And if I got a lot of that, I might not want to go back. A lot of people actually say that when you see that on the shows, they'll say that they felt so good that they didn't want to come back. And when they see their family, they don't want to come back. They, they are making the choice and, and somebody basically like your brother has to intercede and say, yeah. no, no, it's not, it's not your time. Yeah. I, I, I and maybe Tim was off doing something else and it's like, oh, I better get to Bob and then pop yeah. to your parents. Kind of yeah, stuff. I think so. I analyze it. Maybe he was getting the, getting the ropes uh, on. divine miracles set up because you know, <sighs> what's really amazing when I woke up. Yeah. I went through 10 days in the rehab and they discharged me going from critical care, life support <laughs> in a coma. 10 days later, I was out. And, you know, the doctors were telling my wife throughout this that, first of all, the first day they said, we don't think he's going to make it through the night. Wow. And then the first week they were telling her, your life is going to change drastically. He's going to be in rehab for six to nine months and then most likely a nursing home for a year or two. Mm. He's probably not going to be able to walk on his left side. He's probably paralyzed. He might not be able to talk. You know, he's going to have to learn everything over again because of all the brain trauma and bleed out I had. And Dr. Yagavol took my myself and my wife into his office when I called him out of the blue. Hey, can I get clearance to commercially fly back to Chicago? He was like, what? You just left the, the critical care unit 10 days ago. I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm all through with every half. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> That's awesome. He was like, this is unbelievable. So he sat us down and he he had me walk around, talk. And he was just like, this was his comment to my wife and I. He looked at my wife and said, his recovery is miraculous. Mm. I've never seen anything like it. And he, this guy has seen thousands upon thousands of brain trauma patients. He was, to this day, he's still in shock because I have no side effects Pretty much. I mean, I'm, I'm probably 97% back. Wow. The only and thing by I the way, of- congratulations. Good for you yes. with that. Thank God. But I, I've got some questions for you, Bob. So sure. prior to this, 
Um, would you say you ever had any kind of belief being the engineer brain that you have about um, that kind of existence, like going to the other side, heaven? Oh, um, absolutely. hundred percent. So you did, you had that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm prior. very spiritual and I, I'm a firm believer that there's a spiritual warfare going on even to this day and it's ramping up and, you know, good yes. against evil. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, whatever I, you want to believe that is. And I, um, I, my other question is, did you prior to this or did any other close family members, your wife or somebody have any kind of a premonition that this was happening or going to happen like a, a dream or a strange sense of not because it was COVID, but like an impending kind of thing yeah. that you guys had to get ready for. That's a great question. Uh, nothing stands out. I don't mm -hmm. believe. Sometimes that happens that people say later though, like in hindsight, when I was having those dreams, boy, right. that was, you know, spot on. Um, now after, after you've been through, you know, your 10 day recovery, and um, now kind of on your own soul journey, um, what would you say are some of the biggest effects? Like, do you feel more, and not just spiritually awakened, but psychically awakened? Are you having anything like that where you're reading things, sensing things, dreaming things? Knowing things. You know, that's a great question. I, I, I'm one that I don't remember a lot of my dreams. I really don't, uh, which mm -hmm. I don't know why. Maybe there's a a door you can help me unlock, but uh, I can, I can tell you what to do <laughs> before you go to bed at night, you do like a little like um, meditation and you're going to ask your angels, your family and spirit and your spirit yeah. guides to come in and not only give you clarity in your dreams, but allow you to remember. Mm -hmm. And that's the biggest part. You already know, like you've dreamed or you have some vague sense. It's like yeah. mishmash mm -hmm. in your brain but you'll get, you'll get clarity. And if you keep doing it, Bob, you're working it like a muscle mm -hmm. and allowing you to remember, they send you back with ah. like a whole movie mm -hmm. or like the pictures. It's oh, awesome. And when you wake up, this is like a, a really important step. When you wake up in the morning, before you get into go mode, before the brain goes into gear, you know, that space between that you kind of in for like a yeah, yeah. day there and Think about your dreams and then bring them into consciousness with you. Mm, that's a good one too. And I, I write things down. I send an email to myself and I keep a dream journal electronically. And then I search. It's like, oh, I've dreamt about my dad. Like yeah. a few times I'll search my dad because I'll put everything that describes that dream in the subject line. And then when you search under that or even a white cat, you realize that you had 10 dreams. And when you read them all together, it's like putting a puzzle together and then you can read the message. Wow. That's cool. No, that's an exercise yeah, I guess I'm trying to, to do. To your question also, Kate, I guess I have a different perspective on life. Mm -hmm. Going through this, uh, I don't sweat the small stuff anymore. <laughs> I really am trying not I to. I love that. And uh, it's not worth it. I mean, it's not worth it. And, you know, I try to listen to the love everyone, judge no one, because it's so mm -hmm. easy to judge others. It's so easy to be judgmental. Yeah. I have an 86 year old neighbor down in my Naples place that Naples place that we became very close with over the lockdown and we were helping her and helped her refresh her condo. And she listened uh, to my story and, and said, you know, Bob, I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to love everyone and judge no one, but that's hard. <laughs> and you know, getting that from an 86-year-old neighbor was a, 
a riot. It was classic because it's true. That's the have you thing. have you found too, Bob, that you, that people not knowing what your story is have perhaps now um, connected with you or sought you out. Absolutely. Um, strangely, almost working like uh, like a light or a beacon or a magnet for other people that need yes. some advice or insight. Hundred percent. It's it's amazing to me. You know, the more just just to open a small little conversation with somebody and then it just blossoms. I've shared my story with, with strangers that I don't think I ever would have. Right. Them, There's something that nudged me to do it. Mm-hmm. And I've had several people say, you don't know what this means to me. I just lost my mother and, you know, tears are in her eyes. And it was just a stranger just saying hi to and something nudged me to share the good news I experienced and to spread it. And I think it was really to, hey, there is a spiritual world and your loved ones are around you all the time. Mm-hmm. Listen to them. Open yourself and listen. Uh, it's And that's happening unbelievable. It, it really is. All of the things, even leading up to that, that day where you said, I think I need to go to a doctor where normally you would have dismissed it. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, you would have been dead had you stayed yes. home or Absolutely. gone on the road you yes. would have been dead there's mm-hmm. no way you would have recovered been alone you know being mm-hmm. alone with something like that so if that nurse hadn't been there if you had a different nurse <clears throat> right one, right exactly was on earth that one i mean really and, and you're right the best place to have a brain aneurysm rupture i'd say it in a hospital <laughs> I mean, yeah <laughs> for your chances to survive Right. Even right. even though I had Moler and Curly in charge of transporting me, I, I still survived. And even with that, as you know, probably the delay of it was probably there was probably another reason why there had to be a delay spiritually um, with that. And I think it, I, if I had to speculate, it was okay. Dr. Yagaval and another surgeon were wondering who would take the lead on this patient that's coming over. Oh, and maybe gotcha. that's what it was. That, so they did the right doctor. Yeah, could have very wow. easily been that. Because if they opened up my skull and then did, I mean, there would be other damage by moving or cutting through parts of the brain because it was way down in the bottom of my uh, right mm. lobe. So, and that's insane. That is just insane. So, it, here's something else that is so bizarre. Dr. Yagavolt is convinced that brain aneurysms are hereditary. Oh, yeah. And I find out from my godmother after this, oh, we think your your dad's mom died of her aneurysm bleed out when she was 57. I'm like, oh, well, I'm 57. Oh, my goodness. I told Dr. Yagavolt that and he said, oh, my God, this is hereditary. I have the data. You have to have all your siblings screened to make sure that they don't have aneurysms. And that's a lot of stuff. a ticking time bomb in your brain. Yeah, my sister Julie, who's one year younger than me, mm-hmm. she went and got checked in Boston. She had the exact same aneurysm in the exact same spot. That's crazy. Crazy. Yes. So they were able to do preventative surgery on her and took out that ticking time bomb in her head. Wonderful. Wow. And again, that's the reason for for you and even sharing your story. Yeah. And one of my older sisters said, we better all go get checked because Bob took the bullet for us. <laughs> so, so kind of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Only siblings can go, go back and forth like that. 
so any of the uh, other kids come up having the aneurysm issue or is it just you and julie the, my brother tommy has one but it's really small so they're going to monitor it but yeah two okay. out of the and who knows my brother tim may have had one because he was really close to me julie's really close to me and tommy's on the other side of timmy so it's the cluster Timmy's, he's gone he's already passed right so yeah. with your kids um do you think that your kids now have a stronger sense too of this? Like, did it, it always works like a ripple within the family. Mm-hmm. It's not just that person, but usually with the, the spouse and with the children have, has it changed your wife and your kids as far as also their outlook and, and even their perception of things? Yes. A hundred percent. And I would even say it goes beyond just my wife and kids or your immediate family. I think it's, it's the tribe. And I, I define my tribe now of anyone you love, anyone that loves you, you love them. Mm-hmm. It's how you, that's how you go through this passage in, in the world is with a tribe of loved ones and it's affected them all. And it's been positive from my perspective, very positive. Of course, my wife and kids were very much traumatized. You know, my, they, they thought they, that I wasn't going to, make it. And, but my wife had, she said she had this incredible feeling that she knew I would pull through. Mm. And she even said to the doctors when they were saying your life's going to change, things aren't going to be the same. She kept telling them, you don't know my husband. Aww. And that was her response just to, to deflect, you know, the. You two are awesome. Pain. Yeah. Well, Wendy's awesome. I mean, <laughs> You know, and part of it is much work to be done. Wendy and I started a foundation of a 501c3 organization helping kids in foster care. Mm. We started it seven years ago, and it's really mushroomed to an incredible organization where we're helping thousands of kids in foster care. You know, the innocent victims of society that did nothing wrong but are in a terrible situation through neglect or, or abuse. So maybe that's it. I'm still trying to figure out what my brother had to say. <laughs> Michelle, maybe you can help me. I know you uh, contact him or ha- he contacts you, I should oh, say. Oh, yeah. Like, it's funny because like when you and I communicate, I'll be, oh, and you're like, does Tim have something to say? It Because I have, I sense all of our family in spirit, like your mom, like when my dad, you look a lot like my dad, by the way, so much because your mom and my dad look so yeah. much alike. Your mouth is definitely your dad. And you know, just watching is like, oh my gosh, I can see my father in you. But um, Bob's mom, Helen, basically raised my dad, Mickey. So they were very, very close. Yeah, they were very close siblings. And when my, my dad was in hospice, um, this weird thing happened. He was unconscious and I was sitting next to him. I spent as much time as I could with him when he was in, in, in home hospice. And then I was just looking around. I noticed that underneath one of the dressers, and I, and I had just cleaned the floor, so the 10-second rule was still in effect. I saw a Canada mint candy, and my Uncle Ray, who has since passed, had knocked them off the table, and we thought we cleaned them up. It was under there. And I got down on my hands and knees, and I went to go get that candy because I was going to eat it. <laughs> it's just simple. <laughs> I was just, you know, grabbing you know, yeah, All disclosure. <laughs> because <laughs> my you know my sister had taken my mom out I wanted that candy and I was like I don't want to leave my dad's side so I'm down there on my hands and knees and then I I hear a noise and I pop up and my father who maybe 10 seconds earlier had been unconscious 
was wide awake. And I, I feel bad because I kind of scared him when I popped up at the foot of his bed. And he goes, did you see her? And I said, who, Poppy? Who? He goes, did you see Helen? She was right there. Uh, so, and then I talked to one of your sisters. I can't remember which one told me that those Canada mint, those pink candies were yeah. one of her favorites and she was diabetic and shouldn't have been eating them. Yes. That Karen probably told you that. Didn't yeah. <laughs> so it's, That's funny. So I swear she was excited oh. because I was eating that candy and that she popped in. <laughs> My father sensed her and woke up and saw her and they're just, you know, it's amazing the closeness because I can feel Tim when I first heard about Tim's passing. Of course, it's it's devastating to hear yes. one of your cousins has passed and he's he's chatty. Um, I do have to call him in when you have questions. Some people are constantly chatty. He is around his, you know, his children and yeah. around his siblings. And he does say one of the, the big things you had to go do, come do is come back and save, especially Julie's life. Oh. That was one of the things you. Yeah, that's definitely something because you needed to do, and Tommy to some extent. But I think that you know, not that Tommy, <laughs> Julie. I think was a much more critical situation from what Tim was saying. From what yeah, Julie she had the exact same aneurysm in the exact same spot. That's crazy. She's it's crazy. Yeah. She's fifty six, right? Because I'm fifty five. Yeah, she's one year younger than me. Yeah, so we're all lined up. Wow. And, and the other thing is so much of the amazing work that you and Wendy do with foster kids. And, you know, you guys have come out to the lake a couple of times. So we've got to spend time with those. All your kids are amazing. And thank you. Yeah. You should see how big Ke Jonathan and Kevin are now. Oh my gosh. And in nine already. So. Wow. <laughs> Try to make it East again this summer. That'll be fun. I know. I, I Hopefully this crazy pandemic or restrictions lift so we can get back to a normal life. I don't think I'll ever have a normal life like in the past, but I'll have a good outlook on whatever we do. So Right. Now, do you have a feeling about what you said Timmy was dressed, or Tim, um, I call you by your kid names, um, why he was dressed <laughs> in, in the robes? Did, did you, were you talking about bringing miracles back? I, I yeah, I, I don't know. I, I You know, analyzing that, he, he seemed to me, and maybe that's just the way I saw his spirit, as being an apostle, one of the ones that were given, uh, you know, the the blessings to go out and cure others and to recruit mm. others into, um, I could see him going out and doing that. Wow. Especially after, you know, he he had a, a bad life and he, he went down the, the wrong path with addiction and he could never break that cycle. Yeah. Uh, you know, when we were kids, we were really close. We used to fish all the time. I mean, we were a couple, you know, a couple of years apart and he was very spiritual. We were altar boys together and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And he kind of deviated from that later in his life. And, uh, you know, it was funny because his son Jameson. who has, yeah, Jamison had a tough, tough life, uh, but he's a great kid, really good kid. Well, he was down visiting. I, I fly him down on a spring break to my place in, uh, Florida. And I said, Hey, Jameson, let's go out and fish. We got some really good uh, bass right in a little pond behind my condo. And he's there. He look, I could tell the look like, Oh, I don't know if I can do that. He'd never <laughs> fished in his life. Oh, no. I was, <laughs> so sad. He, you know, 19 years old. And so I took him out and taught him how to do it. And after a while he caught a fish, I got zero. So, <laughs> and, and he told me <laughs> he gets signs from his dad all the time. And it's a hawk that shows up. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, and this is a kid who goes to art school in downtown Boston. Mm -hmm. 
And the day his dad passed, he said a hawk came to the sill, windowsill and was tapping on the window. Oh my gosh. And it wouldn't leave. And he came back for three days in a row. Oh, oh wow. Which is unbelievable. Oh, wow. <laughs> I think one of my sisters said, Jameson, did he have glasses on? Because they <laughs> used to have glasses. <laughs> Why I'm sharing this is while we were down fishing, I was on one side of the pond with my father-in-law who had got his lure stuck in a tree and I was helping him out. And I told Jameson to go down by the little dam and, and fish there. And he starts screaming at the top of his lungs, uncle Bob, uncle Bob, I caught a fish. It was the first time he's ever fished in his life. He's running down with this fish hanging from his pole. <laughs> and a hawk circles over and is screeching. Oh my gosh. And he looks at me right in the eyes and said, My dad's so happy I caught a fish. Oh God, that's so precious. Oh, that's oh. <laughs> just so precious. That's amazing. Yeah. So, Michelle and I have other people too, Bob, um, that have experienced um, this very thing, this uh, near death or near death mm-hmm. experience that you went through and there only seems to be a lot of similarity about the memory of it or the feeling of it. Mm -hmm. Mine is um, with my boyfriend, Jimmy, people will think it's because he fell through the ice a few weeks ago up in Indian Lake, but that wasn't a near death. It was just um, very scary thing that Mm -hmm. he, he literally doesn't even know how he survived it, but he survived falling straight through the ice. But Years ago, he was um, about five years ago, five and a half years now, um, he's clean and sober. And um, he made the decision. It was in December to go to St. Peter's. And um, he had already been in the detox for uh, about, he says tonight, 12 days. And um, he should have been pretty much sobered up. And he had so much alcohol in his system that he started going into convulsions. Oh my and um, so he coded and they brought him in the ambulance and um, they got him going again. He said probably near um, like Albany Med, they were taking him from Spark over mm-hmm. to the, uh, or excuse me, I, I lied uh, on Western Avenue. He said near Crossgates. Okay. And he said, then when they got to the emergency room, he coded again. And his memory, I was telling Michelle before you, we got on, his memory, he was a, just what they talk about in a lot of the shows. He was above his body and they were working on him. And he heard the nurse say, you guys better get on this. We're going to lose this one. He's not coming back. And he said he was thinking to himself, I'm fine. He's watching it. <laughs> yes. He was thinking, I'm fine. And he said he didn't what was unusual at the time about it was he said he could see his body, but he was seeing it from above. And he said he didn't have a sense that he was in a physical body. Like now in hindsight, he said it was just like eyes, like looking down and he kept turning around, like looking behind him. And he said, I knew I had to make a choice. And he said, Mm -hmm. then, you know, they said, Nope, we're getting no response. He said, and then he was back in his body. And he just, it just knew that everything was going to be okay. And I said to him, did you have, um, like afterwards, uh, set more like heightened senses. And he said, almost immediately, he said, heightened senses. He said, um, 
psychically and just having premonitions about things. And it's funny you said that about the hawk because he said ever since he always has three um, animal spirit guides and he's Italian, but also Native American. Mm -hmm. Um, He said that he always sees an eagle like to the corner of his eye, a wolf and a bear. And they're always like interchanging, showing up in different forms in his life that he will, he will see them. So, yeah. So it's, it's just interesting because it, but so many of these times that you hear about these things, it's just what it said. Like he could hear the whole thing. And he actually said to the nurse afterwards, he said, I heard you talking. She said, there's no way. She said, "Um, sweetheart, you were dead for three minutes. And he said, I heard you. And you said, guys, you better get, you better get going. We're losing this one. And it was exactly what she said. And it was something else, but he could see the whole thing and what, who did what he saw the whole thing. It's amazing. It is amazing. It is. It is amazing. If you, if you don't believe that there is something else in the universe working all you have to do is talk to somebody that's either had what you had near death experience or talk to a child that talks about their other life. Yeah. And exactly. they talk about oh, all these different things. They have no reference of, yeah. of talking yeah. about their past life. And they're talking mm-hmm. about, well, when I was the dad yeah. and I worked on a farm and these are kids that are living in the suburbs and the family's like, what in hell are you talking about? about? You know, and they'll say, they used to call me Dan. And then they can finally like trace it back to who the person was. Yeah. It's incredible. Amazing. Both it of is. my youngest kids separately, because they're 10 years apart, they said the same exact thing to me. Do you remember the, the time we were here last time together? The time we lived in Boston. And they were like two years old when they were saying this stuff. I'm like, where is the? And then the oldest one was like talking about building pyramids. So I think, you know. <laughs> Oh, wow. He goes way back. Yeah, he goes way, way back. (laughs) So it's that engineering mind of his. Um, Yes, exactly. (laughs) Carried forward. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I do, um, I don't, I do a couple a year because it takes a lot out of me. I do hospice Reiki. Mm. And I have found that it kind of just, I kind of fell into it. And I, I enjoy it. It's fulfilling. I mean, I don't, I can't say it's fun, but it's, it's draining. That would yes. be training on your energy. That's what she says, actually, Bob. Michelle yeah. will say she can't do that yeah. many of them because she says it's it's exhausting. So it's insightful of yeah. you. And I have found a way. I, I've I've actually walked part way with people. Mm. people left their body, and wow. I, I that's why. I mean, I know it's not my time, but I'm aware that I'm not necessarily fully in my body. And when they, I see them go. And they are met by people, light bodies, spirit, mm. loved ones. And then they go. And then I kind of, <clears throat> I guess I recede is the best way to say it. I feel like I like, I'm going to like yeah. when the tide goes, I come back into myself, but then it takes me a few hours. Like, well, what's that weird feeling? It's like, oh, that's hunger. Or it's, you know, those are my feet. Why yeah, do they yeah. feel asleep? It's, it's a weird sensation. It's Biological a- things. Yeah. Take a while. Biological things, right? <laughs> the bathroom. What's the silliness about? <laughs> well, there's been other people that say when they slam, they're having um what what Jimmy described, and you kind of said it. You said you had the feeling of peace. He oh, described cool. it. He, I said, well, how did you feel? And he said, total. Um, he said, what's the word? And I go, euphoria. And he goes, that's the word. He said, it's just yeah. this, like you just feel good. You know. I analyze that too. And I think it was just the touch of divine love. Yeah. And if I would have went further, I would have felt more divine love and I probably wouldn't want to come back. 
which would yeah. have been terrible for my wife, you know, leaving her with an eight, a nine and a 10 year old that we adopted from, I mean, it would just been terrible. So I think my mom and dad stopped me. My brother turned me around and sent me back. And I think the look my dad was giving me was <laughs> the same look I'd get when I did something wrong. Like, you idiot. You weren't, you're not supposed to be here. What the heck are you doing here? Don't get back. Yeah. And I can hear him saying, you always did whatever the heck you want, when you want, you're so independent. And <laughs> I can just hear the argument. That's <laughs> so, funny. Don't you think um, if your mom got her arms around you, she would not have been able oh, to? Oh, I would have had the divine love, that peacefulness yeah. feeling just too much. So another interesting aspect of this, um, Bob, is I have um, read for many families that have um, somebody in their their family, mother, father, grandmother, um, that has um, Alzheimer's or uh, Parkinson's dementia. Mm. And almost all of them, without telling me that, like if the person is still alive, they sometimes start showing I'll be in the reading. I'll say like, who's Rosemary? And they'll say, Oh, that's my mom. And I'll say, she's showing me being with your father. And they met at a USO mm-hmm. and they'll say, my, my mom is still alive. It's always the mm-hmm. ones that have brain injury wow. um, or, you know, Alzheimer's that they start to do what I call the slow dance. And the slow dance is that they go back and forth between the two worlds and they actually mm-hmm. don't know that they're doing this in fact sometimes when they come back into the physical body they're pissed (laughs) because they were just with their husband and all their siblings and they were back on the farm and they get back and they're almost like confused and you know a nurse or somebody saying to them you know louise you gotta eat and you gotta yeah exactly and why am i gonna eat to stay here longer when i could go back there right and I've, yeah. I've seen that too a lot with Alzheimer's patients. They are definitely wandering and I will read them as though they're people in spirit. It's yep. Fascinating. Now, Michelle, it, it's it, interesting that you said something about your dad seeing my mom. Yes. When he was on his deathbed. Yes. My mom uh, was, when she was declining at, towards the end of her life, she told my one sister, she's there, I know it's my time. It's going to happen quickly. So my sister started collecting all the siblings, come and visit mom. And, and she had, uh, she wanted to talk to every one of her grandkids, which was a lot of them with 11 (laughs) kids. (laughs) And uh, and she wanted to see every one of her, her children. Well, I happened to be down in Texas on a business trip. And I got the call from my sister. You got to stop everything and come home. Mom doesn't have much time. And I'm like, oh, you know, it was panic, one of those things. Like, so everybody else was up in New England. So they were able to get in to see mom, but I was in Texas. So I, I had never flown JetBlue before, but that was the only direct flight from DFW to Logan. Mm -hmm. So I get a ticket. It's the last flight out for the night. I think it was flying like 670 or, or 650 or something. And I was supposed to get in, you know, with the time change close to midnight. So I get there, we get on the plane, we're all, all ready, we take off. And just as we take off, you hear this big boom, boom. Oh, God. And, and the, the plane shakes a little. He starts circling, and then the captain comes on and says, oh, we had a couple geese go through the right engine. Oh it's damaged. <laughs> and uh, we're going to have to fly around and burn a lot of fuel 
before we can land because it's not safe because we had so much fuel uh, on the, uh, the land the, like that air, within the airplane. So so he puts the the landing things down. So we're flying around, burning off fuel. So we find he lands, and I'm in a state of you know oh my god my mom's on her deathbed this isn't good this isn't good so. They get everybody off the plane and said, well, we're going to have a mechanic look at it and we'll see. He's there. Unfortunately, the mechanic is in Tulsa. So he's got to take a flight down to Dallas. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh my God. So I'm like, oh, my God. So I, I actually go up to the counter and said, can I speak with the pilot? <laughs> I literally did this. And I don't know. Something nudged me to do this. So the pilot comes out and, and you know, I get tears in my eyes, pretty much saying my mother isn't going to make it through the night. Most like I need to get to Boston. And he just looked at me and said, I will get you to Boston tonight. Mm. And that promise was kept because two hours later, we hear that the mechanic came from Tulsa and he's fix He's working on the engine. The jet blue, Manager comes out, he buys pizza for everybody, but then he gave him an offer. You can take the early flight to Boston and I'll give you a, a pizza and you can go and we'll cover your hotel. I was sitting there like, no, don't, don't be doing this. You can't cancel this flight. So I go up to the minute. You better not cancel this flight. It'll just be devastating. So anyways, they got it fixed and they said, we're taking, we're going. And, and as I was getting back on, the pilot came out and said, I told you I'm going to get you to Boston. Oh my God. By the time they got us to Boston, I landed and I got a rental car and drove out to the assisted living facility my mom was in at the time. Mm -hmm. It was four in the morning when I got there, 4 a.m. <sighs> so I come in and I, I call my sister. Karen was staying with her and I said, well, should I should I crash somewhere and just come in the morning? She said, no. Mom keeps waking up every half hour saying, where is Bob? Where is Bob? Oh, <laughs> so, oh my God. So I, she, I go up there and it was just amazing. I, I, I can still get emotional today. And that was eight, nine years ago where I just crawled in bed with her. Oh, she just oh. looked over and said, I'm so happy you made it. Oh. She gave oh. me a hug and then she passed away within hours. Oh my gosh. And while she was waiting for me, she told my sister, Karen, she said, Where's Bob? Where's Bob? When she kept asking, they really want me to go. They keep coming saying I'm late. I'm late. And I keep putting them off that I'm not ready to go until I see my son, Bob. Wow. All other 10 children. And literally, and then my sister said, well, who's they? And she said, my mom just looked at her with a smile. I can't tell you. Oh, no. <laughs> that is so Aunt Helen. That is Aunt Helen. <laughs> I can't tell you. I can't tell you. He's, was is wasn't is one of the loveliest people. I, I just oh, can't say yeah. enough about it. it was special. I mean, anyone to raise raise the eleven crazy Noonans is a saint. <laughs> it was always the best. We used to bring our camper. My parents would drive the camper there. We'd park in the backyard. Yeah. It was pure just chaos and amazing fun. It's just like yeah, you and Michael used to love going to the Noonans. It was like. You can do whatever you want. Yeah, you know, just wander off. That's funny. The Tarzan swing, you name it. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. I just had to share that one because it was so, I don't know, special. And it's got the spiritual tie. I mean, it was, it's amazing. So so when you ask, you know, do I have feelings of spiritual? I 
that was one that was really eye opener for me as well. Mm. Mm. Um, Michelle, you you were sharing a little bit, um, and I hope it wouldn't be out of school, but a little bit about your husband Paul's um, oh, near death experience. Yeah, my husband when he was four years old, um, he was in the neighbor's backyard um, here in Colony, and we're not even sure who was supposed to be watching him, but he toddled in and fell into the into the uh, pool and drowned. Oh. So his sister went looking for him and saw him floating face down, you know, circling in the pool. So she tried to get him out. She's a little girl. Okay? She screams for her father, gets him. My father-in-law, Angelo, pulls him out and he was blue. He was, there were no signs of life. My father-in-law had just learned CPR the week before at work. Well, he proceeds to resuscitate my husband oh. and he gets a pulse. So they call the ambulance, they get him there. And um, my mother-in-law shows up, they, they meet him at the hospital and their, their remembrance is that they were sitting next to the bed. He had, you know, his vital signs, but there was no sign of life in Paul. And I asked Paul, well, what were you doing? He goes, I was floating up through this tunnel. It was dark all around but not scary, but there was a light at the top of that tunnel. He goes, it took me a long time to float wow. up. And when I got there, there was a man and he was dressed all in white and he had his, his arms out to the side and he embraced me. And he goes, I felt so warm because he had been cold. He was in the, you know, in the pool mm. and he so loved. And he goes, I didn't want to go back. He goes, at that moment, this man, this, this person that, was, was he said it was like the physical embodiment of love itself S turned him around and said you have to go back and at that moment he looked and he could see down the tunnel and he says it was like looking through binoculars backwards and he could see his parents far far away over his body in the hospital room crying and holding his hand and calling him and he said that was the only scary part is he plummeted plummeted back into his body he remembers falling in and then boom coming to and they were saying paul paul and he referred to himself as cowboy he wanted to be a cowboy so he woke up and looked at them and they kept saying there's going to be brain damage he looked at them and he goes i'm not paul i'm cowboy so that's how they knew he was okay wow michelle that's amazing. Um, he was four years old at the time four years old at the time wow wow so, and he had nightmares about the falling back into his body for years after that but he definitely if he <laughs> allows himself to not overthink everything he really has amazing intuition and oh yes i agree with that and if you and if he follows his gut and you know and it's you know he would probably have a lot more communication with his parents and spirit his mom passed away just this past august but they find it easier to talk through me <laughs> So I feel kind of bad sometimes. I think, though, that if you're too close to it, people, you can't, I don't know. I don't think we're, we can do that for ourselves nearly right. as good. Like we can't read our own families to save our lives. Right, right. I would agree with that because I think I've always had this incredible intuition. For my it runs life. in the family, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I rely too much on Michelle. Yeah. For my <laughs> brother. <laughs> she's she's kind of like your crib notes, right? Your monarch yeah, exactly. notes to, to the to the spirit world. Yeah, exactly. Um, so eloquently about this, and you know, you, you just you, you can feel it 
emanating and you're in Chicago and we're in like the Albany area, yeah. you can feel it right through the screen, the experience that you had and it's, it's uplifting and enlightening. Yeah, it is. Very, very yeah. special. And you, and you probably impacted and, and will again impact so many people and kind of um, not only their perspective with living, but how this all works. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's interesting you say that because I had, uh, you know, the story spreads and I have a lot of brothers and sisters. <laughs> I had a friend from high school who I've totally hadn't had contact in 40 plus years. He reached out and said, oh, my God, you know, your your story has helped me. It's changed mm. or enhanced my spiritual position. And I want to thank you for that. Oh, I love that. That's nice. Have you thought about doing anything? Um, I mean, I know it sounds like you're you're pretty busy already, but have you thought about doing anything like writing about what's happened or um, doing anything like um, speaking or teaching with other people about this? You know, I guess I've heard that from a lot of people, like you should write a book or this is mm -hmm. inspirational and it could really help others and so I've, I've thought about it, but I haven't put anything in action. Um, I, I love and I'm very passionate about driving the change we're doing in, in foster care, the system, DCFS here in Illinois, or the Department of Children and Family Services. It's so overwhelmed. It's so broken. It's so behind the times. So but yet there's 18,000 kids in Illinois that are in it and are relying on it. And it's so it's just my heart breaks. So I'm, I'm passionate about trying to change that. And, you know, I, I have, I'm in telecommunication, same as your dad, oh, yes. <laughs> Michelle, I've been there my whole career. Oh, wow. This is a side passion, this foster care stuff. And I'm the chairman of the board now. I was one of the founding board members and it's grown. We're in our seventh year. It's, it's grown really well. So that, that's something that I'm passionate about. And that's your, so I don't mind. I go out and do the emceeing of recruitment events or public speaking. And, you know, I've gotten a, I guess a special gift or blessing for that where, I, you know, the fear is gone. I mean, a lot of people are fear of speaking, but that seems to be gone. I don't know if it's just my personality or if it's a special uh, uh, gift somebody has given me to, to help drive the foster care reform and, and share this story, frankly. Right. That's amazing. I mean, we look up to you so much with what you do because, you know, every child, I, I look at like a, like a year ago, we were, I was helping out at the school play and there were some kids that you could tell just needed a little direction or a little extra love in their lives. I get so attached. Oh. And, you every know, child needs hard. unconditional love and guidance. Yeah. That's all and they so need, but a lot of them don't get it at all. It's sad. That is the most heart-wrenching. Every, so again, Bob, that's the reason why you're still here. You still have more more work to do and, and more of a message to get out, something even I, bigger. I agree. I agree. And if you can make a difference in one life, it's worth it. Mm. Mm. Very, very true. Very true. Um, Bob, I want to say thank you personally for you coming on and, and being so candid and open about sharing your story, your personal story. I'm sure it will resonate with many of our listeners. Um, so thank you um, for coming on because your cousin bullied you to do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, thank you for having me. And, you know, Michelle and I, we go way back. 
So you there's, uh, you know, paybacks are hell, but no. <laughs> <laughs> love it. No, but Absolutely I love Michelle. Love and, you know, we, we were partners in crime when we were knee high oh, grasshopper. Do you remember the time that we did, as one sh- quick story, I have always been horse crazy, as people who know me know. And you guys, uh, when you were in Spencer, yeah. uh, lived not far from a woman who had ponies. Yes. Yes. And the, the, the crazy part is all these years later, I still remember the name of the pony. His name was Ebenezer. Is there something wrong with me? Ebenezer, <laughs> that was at the Grange Pasture, wasn't it? Yeah. And it was this cute yeah. little black Welsh <laughs> pony. And Ebenezer. Ebenezer. That's like a Ebenezer. <laughs> Ebenezer Scrooge. Well, I remember your father said to me, Michelle, haven't your parents got you a pony yet? And, you know, back then they would have loved to, but, you know, we're, people are scraping by. And, yeah, and I said, no, Uncle Jimmy, they haven't. He goes, well, I'll tell you what, you bring me a pony up my driveway and I'll buy that pony for you. So I get Robert, Bob, and yep. Jay, and I think it was Julie and Mary. And we went down. I said, are there horses around here? And he said, yeah. So we went down and we got this woman to hitch up this pony and drive it down. And it was happened to be for sale and drive right up the driveway. <laughs> and my Uncle Jimmy sat in his chair and didn't get up. <laughs> oh, my God. You'll never forget that. How old were you? You, We were, we were I don't know, I must have been six or seven. Yeah, because we were just nuggets. Yeah. <laughs> Oh we were God. just nuggets. We were little things. I, there's a picture of it. I actually, my mother, who has so many pictures, she has oh, a picture man. of us. Well, well, do all the pictures. It's fabulous seeing those. Yeah, it's I love digging. Great memories. Mom. Wonderful. I think that's great. Well, well Michelle, I'm so glad you reached out to say, "Hey, let's share this story." It's so inspirational and so good. And Katie, thank you for your time. Appreciate well, thank there. you so much. And you stay healthy and stay blessed. And uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll be hearing more great things through Michelle about you. But yeah. I really appreciate you coming with your story and sharing with us. And special thank you, as always, to D. Scott. Hi. Yeah, I'm yeah. still here. <laughs> yeah, you're still there. And um, always, Michelle, thanks for being my partner in crime. Ah, so, um, And to all our listeners, thank you so much for listening and sharing make sure you subscribe and let us know um, like us and let us know what other stories and and um, topics you would like to hear from us i've been getting a lot of feedback um as of late uh from our listeners so i really appreciate all of you so thank you all again i close my